Welcome to Life on the Other Side, stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption with Alec Klein. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day and the new book Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. This is part two of the podcast with Kelsey Dodson, who was convicted of child neglect and sentenced to 20 years in prison. What happened with the trial? Um, well, I was convicted of child neglect and I was acquitted of child abuse and I received 20 years for the child neglect charge. Well, let me stop you right there. What was, what was your reaction when you were acquitted of the child abuse charge but convicted on the child neglect charge? What was your reaction? So, um, after, uh, after they read the child abuse charge and they said not guilty, I was, like, elated. Like, I was just like, oh, thank God that, you know, it worked. You know, like, I didn't do that. And the system worked the way that it should. And so immediately after that, they read the child neglect and they said 20 years, and it was, like, immediately, like, deflated any kind of hope that I had had that I was going to be leaving that place. And um, it was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable because I I don't understand how they thought that I neglected her when I'm the one that took her to the emergency room. I'm the one that cared for her. I'm the one that showed any kind of concern that anything was maybe wrong with her and I'm the one that I, I mean they gave me 20 years for that and that was just like when you hear a number of years like that it's very hard to imagine that much passage of time and to like and, and, and the other thing know. Kelsey is um how could you be convicted of child neglect if nobody was found guilty of child abuse? So the, the determination of the court was that no one had was guilty of, of child abuse. And you know, your, right. your then-boyfriend wasn't uh, charged with or convicted of anything, correct? No, he was never charged with anything. So Even after my conviction, he was never charged with child abuse even though he was the only other adult within the home. But how do, how, do you get, how do you get convicted of neglect if no one was convicted of abuse? Well, it's something that I ask myself all the time. Um, I'm not really sure because in the eyes of the state, you would think it seems like I'm convicted of a crime that never happened. Like, I'm convicted of a crime that has to do with the after effects of another crime. And so, if they don't even acknowledge the first incident, then how can someone be guilty of something that comes afterward? And, and so, then, as you, and as you point out, you got 20 years, and uh, as, as you probably also know, uh, there are many cases uh, all over the country where people get 20 years for murder, uh, but right. 20 years for child neglect. I mean, at the time you were just yourself, 
slightly older than that. Yeah. So actually, um, right before the jury went into deliberation, uh, I was offered a deal, and it was like five years in and ten years on paper, and um, I don't want to admit to something that I didn't do, so I turned her down. I was like, well, I'll do two years for neglect because I felt at the time that, you know, they wanted something, and I felt, I did feel guilt over what had happened with Marley because, I mean, just as a mother, when anything happens to your children, you feel um, responsible in a way, even though maybe you didn't do anything wrong you know that in the eyes of somebody, it seems that you've done something wrong. And, you know, especially law enforcement, they want someone to pay for their crime. And so I said, I'll do two years for neglect. And they turned me down, and I said, well, I'm not admitting to anything that I know that I did not do. I did not hurt my child. So um, Let me stop you right there for a sec. You're telling me that they offered you a deal where you'd only have to serve five years in prison, and you said no. Yeah, for both charges. They wanted me right. to admit, they wanted me to uh, plead guilty to both charges. And um, I said no. And that was 10 years ago, roughly. Yes. And uh, here you are, you're still behind bars, right? Yes. So here we are, a decade later, uh, you were, you lost your two children, you were convicted of this child neglect and you've been in, uh, incarcerated for a decade. Tell me about that experience, you know, when you first got in there. What what was that like for you? Well, you know, at the time, um, you think of prison as a place that you see on TV, you know, like barred doors and um, just like crazy crazy people. And so, you know, when I get here and I come through the uh, the front gate and I see all the razor wire and the chain link fences and the gray buildings and just like, oh my God, like, it's just unbelievable. Like, you cannot believe that you are here, even though, like, at the time I had had a couple months in county jail to, like, tell myself that this is, I have to do this, you know, like, I just, I have to do this, and so I get here, and um, it's just, it's just hard to believe, so I really, I say to myself for the first few months, and um, I don't really come out, I don't come out of my room for like three months, and people don't even know that I'm here, so when I do start to come out, people are just wondering, you know, like, who I am, and I start to make friends, and it's kind of hard to imagine making friends with people in prison that maybe have done some horrible things, but at the same time, it's just like, they're not all horrible people, you know, people make mistakes, and um, that's one thing that I have learned in here, like, I've made mistakes, everybody has, and some people get caught, or some people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And um, I've made some really good friends here and people that I actually care about and I know care about me. And um, I went into the Saving Character Program, and I graduated that. I was a peer facilitator for, like, four years. Um, so I, like, mentored people and taught classes and stuff like that. And um, 
I just recently got into the um, cosmetology school that they have here, and um, I love it. And now I have to think back, like, had I not come to prison, I would never um, actually have a career to look forward to whenever I get out. And um, I'm almost there. I'm almost out. And um, it's hard to say, but I'm kind of thankful that I've been here because it's really, like, helped me grow up. And I know that I'll have a new appreciation for things and not take everything for granted. Um, I actually get to see my oldest daughter, Kennedy. She started coming up here when she was, I think, like six. So it's kind of crazy. I've actually added up how many times I've seen her within the past 10 years, and it's like 87 times. So when you think about your children, and um, I haven't seen Marley since she was five months. But I get to see her in pictures, and um, I get to hear her voice when she's at my mom's house. And um, it's just it's hard. But at the same time, um, I know that this isn't going to last forever. And um, I'll eventually get to have my life back and um, not have to be here anymore. Kelsey, how have you gotten through all of these uh, all of these ten years? What's kept you going day after day? Well, um, my mom and my family support for sure, but um, I've also like always been a really creative person. So I started out like drawing people um, banners for their birthdays. So like you get paper and you like decorate it and drawn it and stuff and so I would do that and then I started making um, crochet stuff and I taught myself how to crochet and um, I made my children all kinds of stuff. I also joined the quilting club and um, so I've learned how to quilt by hand. I've learned how to use a sewing machine. Um, What have you made for your children? um, So I made... Like, for their birthdays, I've made them, like, backpacks and pillows and, um, gosh, I can't even remember everything that I've made them dolls, so many different dolls, um, blankets, um, gosh, I've just made all kinds of stuff. I can't even keep trying. And the thing is, Mom doesn't really let them have it. She keeps them in, like, this hope chest or something like that. So I think they get a look at it, but, like some things mom doesn't let them have because she cares about me and wants them to have something to always know that I love them. As far as Marley, tell me about your relationship with Marley today. Um, it's almost nothing. Um, I, I get to know about her. I get to, uh, like, Mom will tell me things about her and what she's doing. Um, she's always sending me pictures of her. Uh, just recently, Mom said that she had called me Mom, and that's kind of a shock because I've never been there for her during all these years. And um, 
it's really surprising. But it makes me feel good that she thinks of me that way. Marley yeah. called you mom. Yeah, she did. What do you know about how, how her health is today? Um, She is a very active um, 11-year-old girl. I mean, she's... I think that she is um, just like me, hyperactive, probably driving everybody crazy. Um, my mom said that she is like me all over again, so it's just I can only imagine the terror that she's putting those people through that she has to be around every day. And um, it's just it's hard to imagine that the frail little child that, I had to see in the hospital with tubes and things and everything running through her that she is fine. She doesn't have any long-lasting effects. What would you say to Marley if you had a chance to talk with her today? You know, I've thought about that so many times, and it's just like I just want her to know that I love her and that I did everything that I could to save her. And I never would have ever allowed anything terrible like that to happen to her if I had known that anything had happened i wouldn't I wouldn't have allowed that to happen. There's just no way, but although I don't think that she knows everything at this point, um I just want her to know that I love her and that I will never stop loving her, and that um. I just want to be in her life. This this is going to happen uh, sooner or later. You, uh, you had a 20 year sentence, but under the uh, 85% rule that you mentioned, uh, the you may end up uh, being released in I believe what 2027. Is that right? Yes. Uh, which is you know about seven years from from now. Uh, can you sort of imagine what that life will be like when you're finally out? Um, no, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I do, you know, I keep up with the news and, um, I, you know, I get magazines and that's how I, you know, you like stay up to date with what's going on and like the magazines are getting weird and, um, you know, I mean like when I got locked up, like iPhones weren't even really a thing and, um, I mean I still had like a Motorola, like, flip phone or something like that. But it's like the world has changed so much. It's like I don't even know what could happen in seven years. Right. I have no idea. I just know that I'm going to go home and be with my family and hopefully have a success, successful life. What, is, what does that look like to you? You know, can you picture what um, you would be doing? Yeah, like having my own home, having my own car, being able to leave whenever I want, not have anyone tell me, you know, when to eat, when to sleep, when I can go outside, um, when I can go to the store, um, what I can buy from the store. Uh, I don't know. It's just like, you know, you think of how controlled my life is in here and I don't want that when I get out. So I just want to leave my own life and um, do whatever makes me happy.
one thing you mentioned, uh, Kelsey, is that, you know, you've learned a bit about yourself over the past decade um, behind bars. What, what else have you learned about yourself or how have you grown in, over time as a person? Um, I've learned that, you know, before I came to prison, I never really thought about people in prison. And um, so when I got here, I'm now one of those people that are not thought of. I mean, who thinks about people in prison? Nobody, unless, you know, maybe you have a loved one in prison. So I think the way that I've changed is just like I want to change the way that people think about us in here, and I've really had to learn how to speak to people. I've had to learn how to do public speaking, which is very difficult, but at the same time, it's very important. Um, I've just had to mature and grow up in here. I was 22 when I came in, and now I'm 32. So it's like I don't know how I've done that, and I know that my mother has been an amazing role model for me. And I think in the back of my mind, I'm like, will this make her happy? Or will I disappoint her? Or something like that is always there. And I never want to be a disappointment. One other thing you've learned is how to make masks for first responders and others. Um, Tell us about that. Yeah, um, so when the coronavirus started getting really bad and um, we learned that the masks were in short supply, um, being in the quilting room, um, they had suggested that we start making masks. And so Hobby Lobby's donated, oh my gosh, I can't even say how many yards of fabric. They donated so much fabric, sewing machines, like everything that we needed. And um, we just started making masks, and we made over 7,000 masks um, wow. that got distributed to hospitals and other people. So basically, you're helping to save the lives of those who are saving lives. Yes. That's, That's amazing. That's a great feeling. What do you mean by that? Um, it's just like... I've never felt like I've had a purpose in life, and um, even though it was a short moment, I know that it made such a big difference to have um, people out there being protected by something that I've had my hands on, and um, probably coming from a very unexpected place, too, so I think that um, especially with my experience with hospitals and from where I was at just a few years ago that I'm actually helping saving and saving people's lives when it comes to like people in the hospitals and first responders and stuff like that. It's really a great feeling. I don't know how else to explain it. No, that's, that's, uh, I think you just did. Well, Kelsey, um, I wanted to just thank you for sharing your story uh, and uh, walking us through your ordeal and journey. Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by Republic Book Publishers, which brings you books tackling the important issues of the day 
and the new book Aftermath, When It Felt Like Life Was Over by Alec Klein. For more information, please check out republicbookpublishers.com. Thank you for joining us today. Please stay tuned for our next podcast involving stories from prisoners, their families, and those helping them find justice and redemption. And please subscribe to the Life on the Other Side podcast on iTunes.